Today, I'm joined in our writer's residence by Holly McNish and Michael Peterson on a very damp and dreary Parisian afternoon. For want of anything better to do in the rain, they have kindly agreed to answer our cafe's Proust questionnaire. 30 questions conceived to plumb the depths of their souls, to unearth hitherto unsuspected facets to their personalities, and perhaps to reveal some of the dodgier influences on their stupendous body of work. Holly and Michael, welcome back to Shakespeare and Company. Thanks for having me. I'm scared now. (laughs) Great. Oh, you should be very afraid. (laughs) Um, Before we dive into the questions, um, this is the Proust questionnaire which appears on every tray in our cafe. So just tell me, what are you drinking today? So I was in the cafe earlier and was eavesdropping and saw somebody get delivered a blue latte, which appeared like a sort of mirage from behind the cafe. So I've ordered one of those and it is, I can confirm, it is very blue, like that sort of sweetened raspberry colour that you got on the fake slush puppies from the garage. Uh, And I'm always really curious. I love the colour of liquids when they go into the body and I can't stop thinking about the colour they'll be when they go out. So this is also a scientific voyage as well as a drink. Similar taste to the blue raspberry slush puppy no, no, far <laughs> superior, which is a good start to kicking it off. Like those, those slush puppies would make me go wild. I had to sort of ban myself from them. Mm, so the uh, thus far, the blue latte, a much safer, cooler, mm. smoother option. Well, we'll be here for an hour or so. So let's see if it, uh, <laughs> yeah. if it has the effect. And Holly, what are you drinking? Well, I have never had a cup of coffee in my life. Um, huh. So I, On a point I have of had principle, a lot of blue or? slush puppies, actually. <laughs> I used to have uh, one a week when my mum took me swimming. No, I just, I didn't think I liked it, but now I do think I like it. But I've been told I'm not a coffee drinker. Okay. So I've sort of taken it on as a thing. So I am drinking a cup of sort of pale milky tea, mm-hmm. sort that if you poured it in front of someone in France, they might sort of chuck you out the cafe <laughs> um, but I'm enjoying it because it doesn't have any handles on the cup so I'm just mm-hmm. holding it and it's warming up my hands and it's it's lovely what are you drinking though Adam oh, it, did, it looked pretty funky as well yeah. there was a sort of like walnut conquery nuttiness to the colour of it there as well a hajicha matcha wow. so so normally the matcha latte is pretty green this I believe is a smoked matcha yeah. so it's got a slightly um, yeah slightly smoky slightly earthier taste and it's that very good kind of afternoon caffeine high you know that sort of it doesn't quite give you the hit that coffee does but it allows you to kind of glide up and then coast down hopefully yeah it's such a fancy conglomerate of drinks take that cafe nero exactly i'd just like to add that i'm pouring another cup because i got tea which you two can't do Mm -hmm. um and it's loose leaf because i felt like i was a wee bit less fancy than everyone else but it's loose leaf tea Mm -hmm. loose leaf in a teapot loose leaf in a teapot Yeah. yeah Which also has a higher caffeine rating, doesn't it? Hopefully. I've had two hours sleep. I feel like I need the need the, the caffeine. Well, maybe then your answers to question one will um, will change <laughs> as the hour goes on then. So at this point on, you know, at half past two on a dreary Parisian afternoon, Holly, Michael, what is your present state of mind? Mine is hopeful. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I think I in my head I felt like this had to be a one word answer, and I know that is not the no, case, but no. I, I was thinking about it a lot, and I was thinking, oh, is it horny? Is it <laughs> 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 another thing we're going to age? I think it's hopeful. Uh-huh. I feel like I have to be hopeful, but I also am hmm. hopeful. Um, maybe it's because of walking through the rain and Paris and thinking this is still hoping it's going to stop. <laughs> hoping that it's going to stop. Hoping that 
<laughs> everything's going to stop. But yeah, I think hopeful is my current state mm. of mind. That's not the question you can sort of pre-prepare an answer to as well, because, mm. you know, we're, our moods change so mercurially. Yeah. Um, you think about that in advance, it could be redundant by the time you arrive. But I did think about that in advance, to completely <laughs> contradict everything I said, because I knew we were going to be here, there, here at this point in time, so I'm going to go for soppy. Oh. Like, we come to Paris every time... Uh, every year at this time, if we can, uh, in the winter of Paris, when it's, you know, uh, the elements are up against us and it's became almost ritualistic. Mm-hmm. We come here to do a show. We come here because it's Beaujolais Nouveau Day, which of happens course. the first day of the month in November. And that new wine comes like bouncing out. Come here because it was Scott from uh, Boyfriends and my, my old friend uh, from Frightened Rabbit, the singer. It was his birthday in November and I saw their band play a gig in Paris mm. on his birthday. So it's somewhere I like to come back to during that month to like simmer in those memories. Um, and we're sort of gearing up to do a show tonight mm-hmm. as well. This is our uh, conversational audition to see if we're worthy of an audience. And do you think your audience are waiting for you to be sloppy? Sloppy, soppy, excuse me. <laughs> I, I think, both with Michael, both, both sloppy and soppy. I think, <laughs> I think they're going to be particularly lush this evening. <laughs> Okay, a little bit of product placement on the uh, <laughs> on the podcast there. Um, I'll justify that because we actually, in a side of like a wild show panic today, which shows what cool pros we are, um, and we lost our venue at the last minute, minute. Uh, but we have found we found a couple of new ones. But via a call out via Holly's social media, we actually have been offered the headquarters of a lush company that have given us a really sort of sparkly event space. Uh, and are putting on the whole shindig for us and I believe people might even be going away with goodie bags containing bath bombs mm. so it's a different type of gig than it was going to be yesterday but I'm feeling pretty grateful for mm. all of that like so soppy and soapy yeah soppy soap. and soapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's gone from downstairs in sort of dingy lovely pub to a lovely kind of garden bath bomb so, explosion of a room it was Katie, okay, Katie. A, a woman called Katie that Thanks, sorted Katie. it all out mm. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll we'll do all the sort of smutty, dirty word profanities for everyone will go feeling mm-hmm. a bit sort of cheeky and icky <laughs> and then they can go away with these products and scrub up nice and clean the next mm. day. I think the way that you use the products isn't that clean though, is it, with the bath bombs? I've heard that men use them in different ways to women. Well, go on, I've no idea. Well, is, is this a, a daytime study? podcast or is it a... <laughs> Am I going to have to click the little explicit content? Is this a case study of one? No, I've heard a few others that men like to place the bath bombs underneath um, testicles in baths, whereas women mainly just let them fizz. Well, I will <laughs> chip in there. As... I've, lived, I've lived with a shower for years. This is... <laughs> no. Never have I regretted it more. <laughs> I'll chip in there as one of the zealots of this cause, (laughs) uh, which perhaps has spurred on its introduction into the conversation at this point in time. Um, I love an effervescent bath bomb. Also, don't have a bath at home, but whenever I stay in a hotel or at Holly's or at a pal's house that has a bath, I often come equipped with a bath bomb, or some people are so aware of it, they have bath bombs waiting there for me at the location. Okay, if I slip off for a quick bath, and then you'll hear those bubbles effervescing. Um, If it's tucked neatly and softly and gently underneath the scrotal region, it's almost like an effervescent jet water bubble massage uh, to a very tender area. So I I would recommend it as a source of relaxation and, you know, source for rumination over and above many other therapies. 
Have I, you moved on to question two, which is what is your favourite way to spend your time? <laughs> I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I'm going to say that is my favourite way to spend my time. It is a nice juncture into that question. Um, Holly, how do you feel about that? <laughs> what is your favourite way to spend your time, Holly? I mean, I was going to say, know, get, draw us away from this, but you were the one who drew us to it. So. I know, I know, it's true. It's, it's funny, isn't it? I think of, I still have that thing where you think of a question, you think, well, I feel like I should say mm. what the truth would be. And I try and not be as soppy as I am. Yeah. But I am really, a really soppy person. And I honestly think my favourite way to spend my time is hugging people that I love. I just think, I just love it so much. Yeah. But it might be, <laughs> might be because my daughter has gone into teen years where it's been a ah. slight stop of the hugging, mm -hmm. but it's coming back. Okay. So with that side of my hugging life, it's like a amazing, upsetting <laughs> adventure in parenthood. But yeah, I just, I just love it. In yeah. any way, watching a movie, hugging, just hugging for any reason. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. I bet you feel ashamed of your answer now, don't you, Michael? No, no, I mean... Self-hugging. An effervescent bath on hugging into the scrotal region, I think, qualifies as a sort of left-field type of hug as well. Um, and, you know, you could do it in the hugging position with a lover. You might need a bomb each, depending on how, how the hug, the, the anatomy of the hug worked out in the bathtub. But I feel like they are conducive answers. They're sort of... Both got their flag in the same sandy beach. Yeah. Which will be nicely washed out by the way you're uh, by the end of the bath. <laughs> I can't believe we're on your question two. Question three. If you were an animal, which one would you be? Now, I'm going to take a punt based on knowing Michael's work. Yeah. That, well, what's your answer? So, there's two elements to the answer. <laughs> Naturally, straight off the cuff. I would say a cat. Quite. Yeah. yeah. My last book is called <laughs> The Cat Prince, uh, the central poem, the titular poem of which is about a period of time when I was convinced I was in fact more feline than human child. And it's all about that metamorphosis into the cat. And of course, mm. I would uh, insist on fully derobing, start baller naked <laughs> at uh, strangers' households and trying to recruit their children into my naked cat gangs. <laughs> Um, that didn't make for too many sequel play dates, and they often came with the qualification, the caveat that I did not once more become the cat prince. <laughs> to everyone's utter dismay, that very rarely deterred me. And that cat hung around for years and years longer uh, than everyone expected. And in some ways, it's back stronger than ever mm -hmm. with the new book. 50 other poems in there, all subjugated to the moniker and other poems to let the cat prince roam free. However, mm -hmm. I actually penciled down some thoughts for this answer and put the Malaysian tape here. Okay. I love I'm not so familiar with that animal that you don't have to elaborate there. No, so I love the Malaysian tape. It looks like the sort of Picasso drawing of animals. Like it's been uh -huh. made of, of all of the spare parts of other creatures. And I love how sort of quirky and bizarre a misfit it is. Plus it like loves a nap and mm. makes these like really nice trilling singing sounds. Mm. So even, they're kind of like an anteater. Is that a similar... Yeah, they look like a sort okay. of anteater cross with a, maybe with a zebra, something okay. like that, or a llama, huh. all three put together. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> um, the jigsaw puzzle of animals. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to buck expectations, uh, <laughs> despite that love letter to the cat that I just unfurled there and see the Malaysian tape here. Okay, beautiful. Holly. <laughs> 
I would like to say that my answers are unprepared. <laughs> but as soon as you said it, um, I would just—I just want to fly. To fly. Oh, like, right. Okay. Not to be a fly. I was going to say short I mean, life. <laughs> short life. I, I would like to be a bird of some mm. sort. I don't really think. Parisian pigeon. American <laughs> <Yeah>. eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know which one. Anyone. Even just for a day, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I would just, I would love to know what it's like to fly or a bee. Mm. Like there's hollyhocks outside my house. Not just because they share like a bit of name, but I just bees look like they are loving life mm -hmm. quite a lot of the time like they're just rolling around in these like big petals yeah cut this like hugging again it's a lot it's a of bit dancing like as well bit. oh do they yeah they get back to the hive and they oh they it's great jig huh? away to tell the others where the flowers are oh amazing <laughs> yeah that's even even more made me want to do that but yeah just sort of bathing in these petals and and flying or something that can swim underwater something that i can't do basically mm -hmm. i feel like annoyed when i look at fish and uh -huh. I look at birds because I think oh, yeah. god we're like I can only jump about one you know yeah I don't know whatever off the ground and it's so heavy walking around all the time <laughs> I just want to be able to breathe underwater or fly <laughs> so anything that can do that um but maybe not yeah forever there's maybe for like a week mm -hmm. there's few creatures that look as satisfied as a pollen drunk bee you can see that <laughs> they're sort of bumbling a little heavy oh, because great. of the amount of pollen they've yeah. dosed themselves in it just looks like a sort of constant episode of ejaculation to compare it to you know the human bodily experience <laughs> i was thinking because they're really useful i'd like to feel like useful mm -hmm. i'd quite like to be an earthworm a little bit something that's sort of underrated but like really much more useful than a yeah. human yeah yeah like the fact that you can just poo and it's really helpful is yeah. that what honey is bee poo oh no I mean <laughs> the, the earthworm oh the earthworm sorry <laughs> yeah <laughs> I thought I'd misunderstood something I was going to have to eliminate it from my diet or a spider I mean spider <laughs> so many animals it would be cool and mm. it like spiders spiders make their yeah. like webs outside my front door every day for about a month oh. in October and it's just fascinating yeah you can just build your house anywhere like and it catches a, your lunch it's amazing a constant rope swing or like a zip line <laughs> yeah. spiders are just sort of bombing around building their own obstacle courses you know they're trying to catch stuff as well yeah, so but, yeah. cool. it's actually, they get a bad rep too it's that experience of a different consciousness as well yeah. right? like yeah. i think i'd be a whale of some description oh, just because nice. like what would it be like to cause it to have that consciousness yeah. like the biggest penis in the animal kingdom the blue whale is that right? <laughs> Honestly, I, I mean, knew I guess that. it's no surprise. I knew you could that knock you were out, you could knock out a dolphin if it accidentally collapsed <laughs> from my head. <laughs> um, do you like the depiction of the whale in literature, like um, Henry Moby Dick? Melville, Moby Dick. <laughs> um, I mean, I love Moby Dick. Yeah. Yeah. Free, free Willy. Free Willy was technically an orca, though, isn't it? So yeah, which is shark. Is it not? No, it's a type of whale. Oh, killer whale is. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, because sharks are fish. Sharks Whales and fish. And mammals. Yeah. I thought, thought the orca was the biggest fish, but maybe I've got that wrong. Isn't that the great white? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. No, I would be, I think it'd be Sharp a humpback teeth. whale. Humpback whale would probably be about right. Probably. A blue whale I'd feel a little big. We saw humpback whales 
or we know it was sperm whales feeding off the coast of Kaikoura in the north of New Zealand. These incredible creatures just sort of splashing between the north and the south island and you just saw the tails go flipping up in the air. Um, They were using what they described as like really complex high-powered hearing aids because they said the sonar guns can often like put the whales off their feeding paths and can cause a bit of carnage to all of their... Um, all of the cycles and currents and they're flying around in. So they use these sort of hearing aids to tap into their conversations mm. below. And I think they could only stay below for 45 minutes and they came up just these big gargantuan ancient looking creatures. Um, and you'd see the, the puff, the puff hole? The puff hole mm. spurting up this sort of waterfall <laughs> fountains, which I'm not is sure incredible. That's word, but I'm going to let it go. Um, and then um, it's a poetic interpretation of it. So but, there was such gust, though. But when that tail cool. went up in the air, yeah. it was just like you know, watching yeah, a ship yeah. about to take off. It was incredible. Yeah. So whales a good choice yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I I feel like there'd be room for a Malaysian tapir in the belly of a mm. whale. Yeah, like, have, having a kind of Jonah experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's move on. What uh, what book makes you want to live in a different era? I, I was talking about this earlier, and honestly, none. Oh, really? I just, yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way, but I just think, as a woman especially, right. I feel yeah, yeah. like every time I read a book that's written in any sort of past, mm-hmm. it probably was going to be a bit worse it's not like yeah, there are yeah, things yeah, yeah. that i wouldn't like if it was maybe sort of a science fiction book then yeah. maybe but um and a book rooted in reality uh, i really think none mm-hmm. unless it was one <laughs> sort of just a bit before before um phones mobile oh phones. right yeah yeah maybe just to go Something just about like that the, and the see, see what might have happened without them or without certain inventions um, coming into the present. Mm. But I feel like I've got it too good to be like longing for a past. Uh-huh. Or maybe my grand just got into my head too much. I was like, nope, nope. <laughs> no, it's better now. Nope, all the time. So I feel like as much as I love, I love reading books um, set in the past, I don't yeah, think any yeah. of them would make me want to actually live. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Michael. So I'm going to propose the notion that Middle Earth is a different era. Fair now enough. I'm aware that is a different <laughs> fictionalised world. Is a different fictionalised world a different era? Let's say yes, for the purposes of this question. For the purposes of um, you being able to answer the question in the way that you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was a sort of Tolkien buff growing up back when it was a newsletter. Actually, my friend joined the official newsletter and then he would write to me and tell me what was going on. Uh-huh. Um, and he actually sent me one of these incredible maps of Middle Earth and I had it on my wall uh, for years when I was younger and just wanted to to live there, particularly in the kingdoms of the earth, uh, the elves. But mm. I would I would nomadically roam around. You know, I would sh- I would share my love um, with with the Shire. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd pay more to visit. You can't ignore these places. It's you've got you've got to go to places that challenge you. I was so, brought up in the Shire, so I sort of know what that's like. I was brought up true. in Bucklebury Shire, which is in yeah, Upper Bucklebury. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's in, in the, Bucklebury it's Shire. Yeah, and was nicknamed Holly Hobbit. I was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was part of the reason I quested after her. Oh. <laughs> Just one step closer to that Lord of the Rings fantasy. And I recorded, uh, I recorded poems on the microphone that they said was also used for the Lord of the Rings films. 
Huh. Nice. What? What? I don't know more than that. Don't ask me. For the voiceover. I'm not really. Sh- I'm not sure. They just. I just I'd remember like the details. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you. Were. Was it maybe the the adult version of the movie that actually team <laughs> which which was not Tolkien written, but you know, Tolkien inspired. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. You yeah. wouldn't even um, have to change the title for no, that one, would you? You really wouldn't. What well, What type of creature would you be there? Oh, an elf. An elf. Yeah. 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 You know. so there was not not even a pause to I've, think about, I've thought about that. I've, I've, thought about it. I've, I've envisioned myself as as dwarfs, as Scots are often predict, um, uh, portrayed in a lot of these. Normally, Scots oh, are the drunken true, dwarfs yeah. in yeah. a lot of the Lord of the Rings characters. Scots and Irish are normally like drunken dwarfs or like, you know, uh, traveling tinkers and nomads mm. in a lot of these. So, you know, we get uh, we yeah. get the the superfluous roles. It's, yeah. Never, yeah. The, it's never the hero. Um, a lot of the time. So I've tried myself out in each of the incarnations of the creatures, even even in some of the magical horses uh, and, and also a dragon, but I, I'm not sure how the how social a creature the dragon is, you know, so. Yeah, well, it always struck me as quite solitary, the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the elves are not kind of, are they not the, the sort of like the, the Scandinavian sort of? Yeah. 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 No, they, they, they're very fast. They're very quick witted. They've got great eyesight. They live in the best places, with uh-huh. like the big waterfalls. Uh, they have like the feast of starlight ball. They have a good time to themselves. They are the hobbits have a better time, eh? They have. They are immortal, <laughs> <laughs> which is a lot of life to fill. That's hobbits true. But then they can eyes. sail off to the undying lands, and they can still die. So. Yeah, definitely an elf. So definitely an elf in Middle Earth. Okay. Yeah. Rivendell. Okay. <laughs> what about you? Let's not skirt past so easily, Adam. Um, what 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 era? Yeah, are you gonna? I feel like you would you sort of would have to transport yourself into an Orwell book. Um, but there's bad stuff happens in those books. Yeah, you know, it's no, not an easy life. The the only thing I think of a different era, and it's not from a book that I would want to at least visit, is 2015 from the Back to the Future. Oh, timeline with oh, the okay. with the hoverboards with the flying cars yeah. with the back to the future was the only one that i was wavering yeah. on yeah let's let's yeah. let's assume there's been a novelization of it so we can yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes oh yeah but, <laughs> so someone's far-fetched interpretation of what the future was going to look like yes that, that we've not quite well someone's projection with. of the 1980s into 30 30 years into the yeah. future it's all, it's all about now the ages hoverboards in the past. Really, it's it? all about the hoverboards. Yeah. It's all about the hoverboards. <laughs> yeah, it really is, uh, isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's where I'd like to nice. spend a that's little good. bit of time. I know this isn't me, but my daughter is convinced that when I was brought up is the best time to ever, the best era mm. ever to have been born in. She might not be wrong, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Partly because the Fresh Prince was out, <laughs> and then partly because nineties R and B actually like came out then, and it was you know there, and and because she said that you didn't have telephones and you only got internet in sort of twenties when you yeah, kind yeah. of deal with it and you just cycled to people's houses, knocked on people's doors. A lot of kids miss that, like really romanticise knocking on their friends' doors because apparently now it's polite to call yeah, them first yeah. or, or message. So yeah, just the idea of sort of going around to your pal's house, knocking on the door. I sort of tell stories about having to, you know, phone and talk to a, yeah, yeah, an yeah. older brother or something or the mum telling you to go back and you try and again. Yeah, I think, 
Yeah. You have that old romantic notion of having like a walkie-talkie with your like pal yeah. around That's the it. corner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I remember, I think we were talking about that in front of your daughter, and she was like, "Yeah, I'd like to get one of those." And it's like, you don't need one anymore. We've all got mobile phones with all <laughs> no. these things. They're almost like you redundant. Don't have to do it away from the landline. That was the point of it. Yeah, it? it's like anachronistic frills. Yeah. You made me think of two things, especially like the landline. Just the the madness of trying to explain that to a, like kid now. It's like. It would sit on a table yeah. or in your hallway or in your living room. Yeah. And then it would ring and you'd have no idea who was on the other no. end. Yeah. And, and you'd have a little answer prepared. Yeah. And you'd, you'd, you'd drop everything. You'd run over. You'd pick it yeah. up. And it could be anybody. Yeah. Like, That's great. Amazing. Also, pre-mobile phones, I remember the thrill of just trying to meet up with friends. So you would arrange to meet at a certain place at a certain time but if someone missed their bus or was running late or just something sort of unpredictable <laughs> yeah, happened done. and they might not turn up and you didn't know what to do they'll wait here all afternoon maybe they're just running late or have they came and gone uh, sometimes you would just have to I, I remember going uptown waiting two hours friend didn't turn up and I just had to go home yeah. and then other times there was the like thrill of the chase I thought okay maybe I've got the location wrong what shops would they go to? What little games arcade would they be in? And then I'd be cruising around mm-hmm. town. And when you found them, it was just this euphoric moment of like human connection all of a sudden. Yeah. There's also like the bigger thing, like I think this has to be caveated with like living in like Europe or the West. But like growing up in like the 80s and 90s, it did kind of feel like quite an optimistic time where like things were slowly getting better. Yeah. Like I remember having a bunch of students I was teaching who were born in the late 90s and talking with them and they were like oh well they they seemed so pessimistic about things mm. and one of them very intelligently said yeah but like you know we were three when 9-11 happened mm. then there were all these you know decades of wars and there was yeah. all this kind of you know the, the financial crash and then it's been basically crappy since then and yeah. it's like we didn't have that like we no. had you know a lot of things would prove disappointing yeah. but yeah. like the idea that the, you know, and you heard the news, like, well, I went to a, a talk a couple of weeks ago and I can't remember the woman's name, but she's been a news reporter all her life and she was mm. saying she'd just done this massive psychological study about effects of being able to see the news all the time mm-hmm. compared to, I guess, I watched it once a day at yeah, 6 yeah. o'clock. And she said that apparently the brain, what they found from this study is that they think that if you see, you know, something on the news three times, your brain doesn't compute it. It's the same thing. They compute that this, like this has happened three times. So if you then see, you know, a helicopter crash or something 20 times in the day, you have 20 times this idea of these things that have happened. Mm. So they start to seem like they're, like the reason they're on news, she would say, is because they're not normal. Otherwise they wouldn't be news. Um, Thank God. But because we see them so much throughout the day, we start to think that this is just absolutely constant. That makes a lot of terrifying sense. Yeah, actually. yeah. God, it's just sort of this repetition of a tragic moment over yeah, and over again, rippling out. Yeah. Um, one of the big ones for us, what I remember as a teenager, was Y2K. We thought all the computers <laughs> were going to go down, yet we still had like the biggest New Year parties we'd ever thrown. We thought you like civilized technological <laughs> society was going to come crumbling down, yet we danced it on, <laughs> which felt like you know. Yeah, in endorsing the world's problems with uh, <laughs> in the most boogieistic of fashions. Boogieistic, <laughs> that's got to be a word. Little did we know like, how big, how much bigger and grander and more complicated the problems we're going to get. Y2K felt like the one. I'm sure Will Smith had a song about it. We 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 number one singled our way towards <laughs> Y2K. Pulp, pulp was good, wasn't it? What's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, so I have been vegetarian most of my life, but I feel like the craziest thing I've ever eaten are things that 
could kill you if you don't eat them in the right way. So mm. like ackee, <laughs> like ackee and saltfish, like the Jamaican national dish. But if, I think this is right, like if you don't wait till ackee actually falls off the tree and opens up, mm. then it will be poisonous and could kill you. Right, but it's okay. it's a national dish. Huh. So, so many people eat it, but it, <laughs> it could be really, really <laughs> horrendous. And I find that amazing. That certain food, if you ate it raw, or I guess if you've got an allergy to mm. something, that fascinates me. But yeah, just, I think I think that probably someone's saying, yeah. eat it in the right way, otherwise. It's like, did you eat that saltfish? Did you try it? Saltfish? No, the no ackee, I didn't eat sorry. the fish, but I ate the ackee. The ackee is like a fruit, but it tastes mm. a bit like, bit like scrambled egg uh -huh. but um, yeah it's, i like it i like it they've got their they do have that with the blowfish in japan as yeah, well yeah. and actually and, and, and in china and different places murakami has a, a sort of writing motto about i guess the stamina it takes to write um for him a lot of the time and he runs fastidiously and ferociously mm. and he talks about like having that physical stamina he feels necessary to go through it and he uses a little metaphor about sometimes the tenderest meat being closest to the poison with the, mm. the japanese uh, blowfish is that like that bit you're trying to get at it's so close to the poisonous parts of the diluting or the destructive parts of the writing that you have to have this sort of metal to get through to it mm. i was i've hearing Basically, I'm quoting Adam Buxton from his <laughs> podcast, talking about that with um, Mirakami talking about that. It's amazing that people still bother, isn't it? Like, so much food that won't potentially kill you. Yeah. You just yeah. still. It's going to have to be really good, one. right? Yeah. 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 And there's testosterone in it, frill in it. It's like, yeah. you know, it's culinary thrill mm. seekers. It's, I guess cooking gets more histrionic and free, theatrical. These, this sort of culinary thrill seeking. It's such a big thing. It's the extreme sports of the eating world. Have you eaten blowfish? No, no. no. I, I saw restaurants that were doing it when I was in Japan and was very curious about it, but not yeah. curious enough that I'd roll the dice. I was you know, over doing exciting art shows. I didn't want those to go So the craziest thing south. you've yeah. eaten? So. <laughs> that was like a telling um, Come on. <laughs> Keep to the subject, man. So I lived in Cambodia for a year. And opposite me, one one of the flats I lived in was the insect market. Um, oh, so yeah. one of okay. my little favorite restaurants used to do a fire ant curry. So it was mm. this like really spicy, protein-filled ant curry. Um, and sometimes they were a little bit prickly and that was quite far out. And then also around the corner for them, um, there was a place that did water snake. And I've always been quite terrified of snakes. Mm. So I felt like this was sort of um, in an entirely unfair and cruel manner. Uh, us going head to head by me eating some of the water yeah. snake. It came with like a sort of salt and lime dip and you um, smooshed it into it and ate it back. But then I felt really guilty and then maybe that the snakes would then have a vendetta yeah. against me and would have all the more reason to quite come, right, yeah. come a-biting. Um, but I made my way through a lot of the different stuff in the uh -huh. insect market. There was like cockroaches there and giant mm. grasshoppers. Yeah. But I mean, they flash fry them in a, a light batter. So it's sort of crumbly, proteiny insects and mm. batter. So I've made my way through quite a lot of the insect kingdom. I don't think I could eat a cockroach. No, those were the juiciest. And I, I only ate them once and was not a returning uh -huh. customer. And it was only... Uh, a visitor, a guest that was staying at the guest house that I was working with that sort of coaxed me and cajoled yeah, me yeah, into yeah. it. But no, it wasn't for me a pleasant experience. Uh -huh. um, you? Me? Uh, 
I mean, I grew up in Britain in the 80s, so it's probably beef, wasn't it? The craziest <laughs> thing, like literally the craziest thing Spam. I've ever eaten. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of, you know, actually, I cannot give blood in France because of mad cow disease. Oh, really? If you lived in Britain between something like 1985 and 1995, you're not allowed you're to. That's fascinating to when give you blood. learn things like that about yeah. your weight. You, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so um, I'm so disease-ridden bovine, I guess, yeah. is uh, the crisp. But I've also eaten insects. I ate uh, grasshoppers in, uh, I think it was in Oaxaca in Mexico. Nice. Um, and they were just, they were fried with chili. They were really good, actually. Yeah. They were served like like a little bag, like crisps on that yeah i mean there is a lot of environmental sustainability in getting our yeah. proteins from the insect world which is monitoring their species level a lot better certain mm-hmm. insects than a lot of the meat that we farm um so i've heard a lot of environmentalists talk about insect-based protein being quite a, a forward-thinking concept but a hard sell to a lot of the western yeah. world yeah yeah i guess I've it's not all in the presentation yeah whereas both those dishes <laughs> if i talk about them in cambodia they're not crazy they're just traditional yeah. kind of cuisine used to, isn't it? Um, but you definitely aren't going to see them on the menu at uh, mcdonald's or weatherspoons anytime soon <laughs> question number six what is your favorite journey mine mine is the first thing that came into my head is the train journey from where i live up to glasgow mm. and michael lives there so I love going up to see him. It was also the train journey that I've done for years to go mm. and see my family who yeah. are all from Glasgow. And I just get so excited. Do it with my daughter. She gets excited. And just, I know it so well. And I've wanted to get off at every stop all my life since I was a kid. Um, Which line is this? It is. So it sort of goes, now it goes like Cambridge, Peterborough, Peterborough, Edinburgh, Edinburgh over to Glasgow so it's like the east coast going up the east coast oh lovely you know getting into Durham going up to Newcastle Mm -hmm. and just just seeing all all the cliffs and before that seeing all the sort of stones turn red and knowing that I'm basically knowing that I'm getting closer and closer to Scotland has always got me really excited so yeah that's 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 the I'm, I mean there's gonna be loads of amazing journeys I could think of but that's the one that I Love. I think you're the first person I heard in years talk about being excited to get on a British train. <laughs> I, know, I love the trains. I wish they were better, but I love sitting on a train, just I, looking at I them. I love, love too, it. I can't remember the last journey I did in Britain that wasn't disrupted in some way. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I was on the train like, today. I mean, Eurostar, I love it. Oh, Eurostar. I love coming. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Just, oh, it's just so calm. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of journeys that are <laughs> disrupted. <laughs> Finland, I went on a train that was amazing. I had a slide on the train, like a amazing family, it's family carriage so that wow. you know it's good for families have a slide have a little library slide right out the window yeah, 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 yeah right that's enough screaming <laughs> problems with your tantruming uh, yeah, yeah. maybe this slide will sort them out <laughs> but yeah journeys definitely it's either a train or a journey on a bike but that yeah that train line is i love it how about you michael yeah i've got loads of like incredible one-off journeys i've made in the international world but i figured i had to go back to a journey that maybe i've made a couple of times Mm. that I find myself daydreaming about and that is the coast of road that goes from a place in the northwest of Scotland called Ullapool Mm -hmm. which has like I had a book festival for the last 25 years it was also the site of my first ever family holiday also Ullapool is just a cool name for a place (laughs) going right up to the northwest of Scotland to a place called Durness where there's Mm. this incredible sea cave there called Smooth Sea Cave that I always sort of fantasize about and come into dreams but it's just such a sort of steep and vertiginous road that goes up to it feels 
otherworldly. You feel like you're driving through the land of the giants. There's a verdantness <laughs> to the green. There's a sort of ferocity to the precipitousness of the cliffs. And it feels like going off into like an epic fantasy mm -hmm. adventure. It was also when you get up to Durness, one of John Lennon's favorite places. So there's okay. like a random little statue to John <laughs> Lennon in Durness. And they have a, a John Lennon festival there every year. I think he took Yoko Ono up there on a holiday because it's where he used to go with his family when he was younger. So it's this little magic mm. place in the northwest of Scotland. And yeah, you're greeted by purple beaches and a sea cave. And it's one of those um, locations that Visit Scotland always use in some of their, I guess, media to say, where is this? Is it Bermuda? Is it Hawaii? Is it Samoa? No, it's Darness in the northwest of Scotland. Visit Scotland. And I guess I've just reinforced the, the entitlement of the claim. Mm. And you signed up as the Visit Scotland representative for next year. Yeah. I'm all <laughs> if I get a free trip to Darness, then... <laughs> maybe to the John Lennon Festival. Who is your hero in real life and who is your hero in fiction? Ooh. You go first. Holly's my hero because <laughs> we had lost our gig venue and she found us a new one with her call out. And Katie's my hero <laughs> who gave us the gig venue in that case. Um, so I'm thinking in the immediate, the hero of today is definitely uh, Holly who's found <laughs> us, who's saved our show. <laughs> Fictional wise, yeah. I'm so, I know I'm coming across as a Tolkien zealot here, but I'm going to go for Tom Bombadil, who's oh, the, man. the poet in Tolkien who's missed out of everything the animated Lord of the Rings, the film version of Lord of the Rings. Uh, he speaks in like poetry vernacular. He annoys a lot of people, but I love him. Um, and there's the journeys of Tom Bombadil. He has this like incredible, beautiful, romantic uh, relationship with his wife, who's like well known throughout all of Middle Earth. And he's got as much power as any other wizard or creature within the Lord of the Rings um, trilogy world. Uh, quest, but doesn't necessarily misuse it or let you explore what that really means. I feel like he is an underrepresented <laughs> character of literature, and I would like to sing his heroic praise. And I know you're going to rejoinder me about his gloriosity. I mean, Tom Bombadil was the moment where I was like, no, fuck this, this is not for me, Lord of the Rings. I, I, the interminable songs, like, oh my god! <laughs> I remember after I, I, I. I I guess speak to a friend of mine who was a big Lord of the Rings fan. I was like, I just, it was, it was the songs, you know, that really did for me. And he's like, nobody reads the songs. You don't have to read the songs, just skip uh, through the song. I, I couldn't, I couldn't I, do I it. I read the songs. <laughs> I, I, I can tell. <laughs> he's the only character. That but don't get me wrong, the wider world outside of like a small group of zealotry uh, Tolkien fans agreed with you. And everyone who has interpreted it, be it for stage play, uh, feature film or animation has scalpel Tom Bombadil go, out of the books <laughs> doesn't I know, get a look in <laughs> I always hated it when they put verse into a storybook like that yeah. I hate it and I haven't read Lord of the Rings my dad tried to make me read it for like my whole life yeah 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 and I actually tried to do the same with my kid and she was like there's just loads of men talking about war and I was like mm. <laughs> I think that's what I thought when I was younger <laughs> And Michael is going to lead the Save but. Tom Bombadil campaign. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been I've been trying for years. It's it's not been I've not recruited too many members to the to the cadre. I mean, mm. even less than I recruited to the Cat Prince gang. Uh, <laughs> Tom Bombadil is definitely less popular there than feline be. role play. 
Well, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. Well, Holly, your hero in fiction. Oh, God, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I I have one now. I, I really like. Is it Sayaka Murata? Is that how you pronounce the writer's name? She wrote the convenience store. Oh yes, then. yeah, yeah. And I don't know what the character's called because I find it's. I just don't remember specific facts about stuff, which is terrible. But I just love that character. I think right mm. now that's probably my hero. Just somebody that is content and is like, why are you trying to make me change this just to fit in with your idea of what my life would be better uh -huh. as? <laughs> I just love it. It's like, wow, I'm all right. I'm like, I'm happy here. Um, what are you doing? I think when I was younger, it was probably Matilda. Oh, yeah. I would imagine. Like Roldan, it's just that was all I really mm. read. Roldan and then Point Horror. But um, probably Matilda. When I was when I was younger, or, or the the ghosts in A Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. or like all the characters in A Christmas Carol. It's or, such a perfect book, that, oh, like just so beautifully put together. Like love there's, it. There's yeah, nothing wrong in it. I just love it so much, and I don't. I don't think I have a hero in real life. I mm -hmm. think lots of people are amazing. Um, friend Jodie, maybe. <laughs> Hi, yeah. hi, Jodie. I yeah. <laughs> hi, Jodie. I know she won't be listening. <laughs> tell me she have you got a hero? I felt kindred spirits with Raphael from the Turtles. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's I a nice one. I felt one. I could have could have learned a lot from yeah. Raphael. I I think the first like character in literature oh. to really speak to me was um, Yossarian in Catch Twenty Two. Mm. Like just seeing the kind of the one person. Or feeling like he's the only person who sees the complete madness of what's going on around him, yeah. and just sort of cannot accept that, you know, that that everybody is accepting it as normal. I think was a very it's quite similar to powerful. mine in a way. I haven't read the book, but I feel like that's quite like the character in Convenience Store Woman in a very different way. But yeah, I felt like I was Hermione from Harry Potter when I first started reading those books. I, uh -huh. felt, oh, I yeah. felt a relationship there. I was sort of real try hard, uh -huh. um, but um, everybody's best ally as well. Nice. Mm. I can see you as Hermione. Thank you. <laughs> In previous conversations, you've tried to stake claim to you being Hermione, and I'm sure you've hooked me off for someone like Ron. <laughs> no, you have said that I am definitely Ron. Oh, yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Mine is amazing. The mm. word amazing. But I don't I, I don't know if I'd call it overuse. I just really like it, so I use it a lot. Um, but that's the word when I'm writing uh -huh. that editors are like, you want to try another adjective? <laughs> <laughs> and actually... No, that's fine. Yeah, it's like, no, that's what I say. Um, Any and other it, zesty superlative? <laughs> it's very different with us though, isn't it? Because I remember Michael saying when you sort of finished the first edit of, I think it was Boyfriends, that you said... Um, that you'd use, there was one word you'd use twice in the whole book. Uh, whereas I think... The Guardian reviewer picked it up as well. It was, a, but it's a really, it's a really amazing <laughs> word. I, I think it was in Sorcel. He said, yeah. and he used the word in Sorcel, <laughs> dash, twice, exclamation mark. I was not enamoured by my double use of the word in Sorcel. <laughs> so deliberately in the Cat Prince, the second, the recent poetry <laughs> collection, I used in Sorcel twice within the book, just in case he sort of vendetta picked it up to have a read through it. That is really funny. That I didn't know that you did that. That's so I'm really going to try funny. and use it twice in every book I do now because it's one of my favourite words. Let it go, so just let like, it go. It's just one review. I mean, there's... <laughs> 
I'll be honest, I'm tempted to, to increase it three times, four times, get that number of climbing. Increase it in each foot. I'm ensorcelled by the ensorcelling. <laughs> I remember when the, like, what, the French translation of Nobody Told Me, I think it was, came out, and the translator had um, <laughs> first like changed some of those words that I just mm. keep repeating. Yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. I write the way I speak a lot of the time, and my vocabulary is not as... Um, diverse as it maybe could be uh, and they'd changed it to something uh-huh. you know, fabulous and tremendous yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like mm, I know I know I know that's better but uh-huh. I, it's I just don't talk like that yeah so, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, like I do use the word like a lot and it drives my uh, mum especially when their books are supposed to have like a conversational brogue and you're supposed to feel yeah. like it is talking to the author from that perspective yeah. to like re-edit their vernacular it gets a bit like oh. Yeah. On, on the yeah. subject of translation, I remember seeing, I think it was a tweet from you saying, I just learned that the French don't have any words for teabagging or dogging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. teabagging. How, how do they get by? <laughs> I loved it. I thought, oh, the French, I always thought they were the sexiest people, teabagging. It was great explaining that to an editor. That was like the highlight of my whole translation. Do you know what they landed process. on in the end? Oh, yeah, but it's it's in a sort of it's it doesn't it's not like a straightforward thing about tea bagging. It's about sort of tea bag tonsils. So oh wow! Okay, changed it to like sachet de tea. I mean, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was good the way they did it. Yeah, they yeah, changed yeah. the yeah they changed the tea bag to be like inside the mouth. I think sounds like a canny compromise. It was really clever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an awkward situation. Okay, I'm not. I'm not using ensorcelling because, as my overused word, because I'm refusing to admit that two oh, no, twice uh, within no. a sixty thousand <laughs> word uh, uh, book is overused. I was meaning that you don't really overuse any words because you do, you do specifically change your vocabulary up so much. I think because of that, though, my most overused words are two expressions. One is muckle mirth and one is <laughs> with glimmer and gusto because they're my sign-offs on the emails. Uh, I like my emails to, talking about that conversational brogue. I like my emails. I spend a lot of time on them. I like them to feel like we're in conversation when they send them. I'm not very good at a business, like neutral email. Yeah. It's always sort of um, springing up with vibrancies and all those sort of little conversational frissons. So I have a couple of solid sign-offs, but they are my, I guess, the lungs. They're my my, my vital organs within uh-huh. the email sign-off. Mucklemurph, casual Scottish one, or with glimmer and gusto. I like that poetic, you know, alliteration there. So they're probably my most overused words because no. I send a lot of emails. I don't agree. I think your most overused word is smutty. Smutty? <laughs> Can't be too smutty. <laughs> <laughs> you say it. I hear it a lot. As a defense. It's not filthy, it's smarty. (laughs) The next question is an easy one. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Oof. Well, peace, probably. Mm. (laughs) That's it. Nice. That's more altruistic than I was going to say, which was going to say like... Being in a bath. (laughs) (laughs) Like being in a, a swimming pool in a tropical climate with... Friends and lovers garlanded around, but that was that's quite indulgent compared to you know eternal peace. For All right, but well, or safety, I okay. think 
That would be my also, ideal. Perfect happiness, just being able to go outside and just feel safe. Also more vital to the world <laughs> than, than me having a, a, a Porsche swim on a international holiday. We've just came back from well. the book festival in Bali, so I was transporting myself into like a Balinese pool. They also offered this thing called like a floating breakfast where you got a... Um, banana leaf tray of, of food so you could eat it in the water oh, we ordered that but then cancelled it because it decided it would be a bit too clumsy uh, <laughs> to try and eat the breakfast in the pool but we did get in the pool 16 times that day so we, we made amends mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sticking with my answer <laughs> it's a better answer it's yeah. more vulnerable it does more good to the world I've shown that I'm indulgent no <laughs> <laughs> if you could spend the rest of your life with a character from a book, who would it be? Mine would be Matilda, but um, <laughs> would you get older and she'd lost... stay the same age? Well, how does that work? Mm. No, mm, don't know. I'd probably, I'd maybe I'd be that age, and I'd stay the same uh-huh. age. Don't know. Not sure. You've confused me now, madam. Uh, I thought I was set on that question. It was going to be a real punchy answer. <laughs> Just one time. I don't, I don't want to stay a child forever, though. I really like being an adult. Um, no, we'd get older together, but she wouldn't have, like... She wouldn't stop using her powers. Mm. That sort of annoyed me in the book. I was like, I get it, that now you're intellectually stimulated enough that you don't... You can't move stuff, but I'd, I'd still want the... The power could be useful to move stuff. Yeah, be great. Have someone like Matilda around. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that would be really fun. Michael, I'm I'm sticking in Camp Tolkien. <laughs> oh, I'm moving away from the elves now, and I'm going to say Gandalf, the wizard. Okay, Fair well, enough. one is a wizard, which is you know quite exceptional in yeah. the circumstances. Yeah. He's got the fastest horse in Middle Earth, so he can you know get between places pretty quickly. It's got it's, good it's for a, doing the shopping. It's a ride in itself. <laughs> he has a propensity for talking, stopping at like a lodging inn and ordering oh, wine yeah. and cheese uh-huh. boards, which I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of. You know, a nice wine and cheese stop off. Plus, he's got a bad reputation in the Shire for bringing the fireworks to every party. Mm. He's known as the guy that provides the pyrotechnics. So he doesn't bring a milkshake <laughs> to the yeah. playground, the yard, the yard, that's it. He brings the pyros. So I figure he'd be quite fun. Plus, he's, you know, he's pals with the dwarves, the hobbits. He just sort of cuts about doing his own thing. So I'd be on the back of that horse with a tender embrace from behind, yeah. setting off fireworks. And he might let you wear his hat. Fair enough. Right. Now lucky. I'm thinking the luck, cards, right? luck dragon off the never-ending story. I'd quite like to be with the luck dragon forever, just yeah. flying around. Mm, oh, yeah. Just flying. <laughs> just anything that makes me fly. <laughs> That's why I want to do everything. What is your theme song? So I've I've written a poem about this from perspective oh, as yeah. if you had to like walk to a boxing ring and mm-hmm. um, what would be the music that you play to get you all g'd up to like enrapture the audience get them on your side and i feel like i'd try and sort of left field flank take the audience by surprise by playing a vocal recording of ocean wong's poem ode to masturbation that's <laughs> wow what, okay that's what i decided my theme song it's a great uh, great example paragoning example of atypical love poetry love poetry to ourselves it's a free, economically viable resource that is potentially unlimited, you know, mm-hmm. so far as the body can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be quite a joyous experience to come to the ring with an ode to masturbation. Mm. Uh, and it would probably make the the bout that then awaited a bit more, uh, a bit gentler, mm-hmm. a bit gentler, a bit more of a human experience of tenderness. So my theme song is going to be Ocean Vong's Ode to Masturbation. 
Splendid. I have such an urge to be like, my theme song would be like, peace on earth. I hadn't really thought about one. I don't, I really don't know. This, I think this is like the hardest question. (laughs) I had the only theme song I've ever had was when I was given birth and it was Salt and Pepper's Push It. And that was like the theme song that I thought would be really helpful when I was given birth, but actually I screamed to put it off. Question number 12, who are your three favourite writers? So I'm going to go contemporary living writers and I'm taking into account their writing, but also any human connections I've had with them. You can Good. see I've fastidiously thought about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so one is definitely Holly. I travel the world with Holly. We read alongside each other. I think the audience that she ferments through the sort of vitalness and, and humour and beauty of her writing is just sort of unparalleled in contemporary literature in the UK today. Um, there's just so many sweet, human souls that I meet through um, travelling and touring with Holly and I can see her scowling daggers at me at this point in time so I'll move on to the Not second daggers, right? I, I, I just... Michael's on your list now <laughs> um, another, now. <laughs> another one is Jackie Kay Scotland's yeah. second yeah. ever national poet and Jackie's written in like fiction non-fiction plays poetry and I always class her as one of my not just a dear friend but as one of the patron saints of friendship poetry mm-hmm. she writes about friendship so beautifully and I feel like a lot of the time when people ask for poetry recommendations for salient occasions whether it's weddings or funerals or just you know get togethers I I can always think of a Jackie Kay poem which will infuse a a love and an energy Mm -hmm. into the room and I feel like because he's given me my theme song I'm also going to go for Ocean Vong Mm -hmm. I um, also listen to sometimes Ocean Vong podcasts before I go and do a big gig Mm -hmm. or a big event because uh, it touches on so many of the topics that I'm constantly ruminating and has really distilled these sort of infallible nearly opinions on all of the matters. Yeah. So I'm just so excited for him, particularly like what comes next. I've consumed everything he's written and I, and I know it'll sort of keep coming in these beautiful gulps. Mm-hmm. Holly, Ocean, Jackie, also a good night out. Just collectively, like it, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know what to say now. That was such a nice thing to say, Michael. Yeah. Thanks. So it didn't really, it didn't, on this one, I didn't think of people I know. I, mm. It just didn't cross my mind that I was sort of allowed to put people I know. You probably weren't. I've probably cheated. No, you are. Of course you are. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure I believe I'm one of your favourite writers. I mean, I mean, in terms of, you know, liking me, but in terms of the writing, I'm not sure I believe it, but I'll, I'll take the compliment. It's really nice, but I feel like probably Tolkien would be there. I went, I, I went <laughs> like living. From the, went other, living. <laughs> from the other answers, I feel like Tolkien probably I, I cha- should I changed be there. it to, to living so, <laughs> so I could take Tolkien out of that question. Yeah. <laughs> so if it was like that, then obviously you'd be on my list. I guess I thought of people that I don't really know and um, panic about questions like this because as soon as someone says that, I forget that I've ever read a book mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. I forget the name of anyone that's ever written a book. Um, but... Gael Fay. Oh, Fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. I put down just, just think he's a beautiful writer. Mm-hmm. And um, Petit Pay was one of the last books I absolutely loved that mm-hmm. I read. That's extraordinary. Um, Charles Dickens, I can't really ever not say him. I feel uh-huh. like, yeah, yeah, just there are a few fiction writers, I guess, that are really changed my life and mm-hmm. the way that I thought about writing and what writing could do and I guess that made me think a bit more politically yeah, while still yeah, yeah. absolutely loving a story um uh, yeah 
Charles Dickens. And then I guess I have met Irvin Welsh. Mm. But Glue <laughs> by Irvin Welsh is still one of the books that I've read that had me sobbing, I think, for like four hours at like three in the morning mm-hmm. after I'd um, read it. <sighs> yeah. So I'm not sure. There's 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 so many. There's so many, but I, I feel bad with that because Michael, obviously, he would be. I would, so would many of my... It would be weird if you said me in response, people would cringe. So you know, I got in there with the soppy stuff. I know, that was nice though. I liked it. I was really complimented. Um, but now I, I feel guess... bad that I've messed Irvin off as well. I'm <laughs> right that I grew That's up fine. with in Cheris. I just had him in the uni last month talking about 30 years of Trainspot as well. Trainspot uh, came yeah, out in yeah. 1993. It's now 2023 and he's published so many books since that point in time but he's all obviously internationally known as the train spotting sure. guy so just to hear him talk about his writing career through the way that he's inhabited those characters and he's been such an important writer for Scottish Scotland mm. for the Scottish vernacular for sort of proving busting myths within the publishing industry yeah. and he's just such a like generous and sweet nice. guy when it yeah. comes to chipping into gigs to helping other writers and it's just such a like easy and affable and really fun presence to be around. He's always yeah. uh, one thing he always talks about as well is everyone, everyone always thinks he's bigger than they expect. He's uh-huh. about the same height as me, sort of six one, six two. And he's like, I, I must, it must just be because I've got absolutely zero fucking uh, charisma. <laughs> everyone expects me to be this like tousled wee wee, tousled wee guy. It's funny. I, I they expect it to be big me. <laughs> I get the opposite when people meet me. They always expect me to be bigger and tell me because I'm so like I've been like called a chihuahua in like two reviews because they expect me to be <laughs> I guess I'm loud in I don't know loud mouth and they expect that to <laughs> come in my size or something but loads of people have said the opposite I saw Irvin Welsh and Robert Carlyle speaking about train spotting mm. and he talked about that Begbie thing and um Carlisle got called in off Danny Boyle to get sort of asked to audition for a part. And he's like, we'd like you to try out for Begbie. He's like, whoa, I mean, I, I thought Begbie was going to be this sort of ogre of a guy. I thought yeah, it'd be yeah. more like a Renton or a sick boy. And, he's like, and Danny Boyle apparently just turned around and said to him, no, no, we cycles are the best. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Okay, question 13. Where in the world would you most like to live? Oof. Who you start that? So it's hard. So I've got a here. treble pronged <laughs> answer. Yeah, it's a big spot. This is right here. <laughs> and we have the flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, On a t- limited timeshare basis, <laughs> yes, you can. Thank you. That's been working out well for us. Um, so I've got three pronged approach to that. In terms of somewhere I've never been and really romanticised Buenos Aires, I'm currently oh, trying yeah. to get <laughs> boyfriends published in Spanish through an Argentinian translator that's taken an interest in it, who's been pitching it to Buenos Aires publishing houses, and I've been like holding off going going there because I, I want to have a book out mm. in um, <clears throat> South American Spanish to be able to go there for the first time. And one of my friends who travels a lot and works all around the world in IT says it's his favourite city mm. he's ever been to. Um, so I've got a real sort of bonfire in the belly about going there, but I want a significant reason to to almost magnetically pull me over. Um, somewhere else I'm considering moving in the UK at some point is Heptonstall, which is in oh, West Yorkshire. It's near yeah. Hebden Bridge. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Ted Hughes' old house is there, Lumbank, uh-huh. that's used as an Arvon Centre, right 
skating course but it's just this beautiful village uh, there's been a Ben Myers uh, mm. Shane Meadows Ben Myers adaptation of the oh, yeah, miniseries just set, yeah, yeah. yeah which was filmed in Hepton Stall it's just this incredible village I imagine Hugh's there Sylvia Plath's buried there and I just think in terms of it feels like parachuting into into a book from mm -hmm. that perspective plus it's almost sort of halfway down the country so it'd be easy for me to get back to Scotland and see my friends up there and then to go down and visit like Holly and London mm -hmm. friends in the south so geographically it's good as well um, and then there was I had a third thing what was the other one? Oh, I spend a lot of time wherever I go uh, I think a lot of people do this. When you're walking around new cities, I try and choose a house I can oh, live in. Yeah, 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 I can choose yeah, any yeah, house nice. in the city. And one of my favourite houses is on a square in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've identified the top flat of this house that looks out onto the square in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And we were doing a show there um, in June this year. And a friend of mine uh, has moved to Barcelona fr from Scotland, but he's, he's, he's from Madrid in the Bas and lives in the Bas region as well. Um, but it was just extolling the virtues of to me of like the Spanish life where you live on a square and are connected mm. with your community on the square in terms of like getting to know um, all of the all of the residents there, all of the sellers, all of the local businesses, families getting together for like significant occasions, the parties they throw, the sociality of it, looking mm. after each other's kids and dogs. So I've identified a flat in Barcelona for me mm. to be part of the. Um, idealized, lionized, mm. square living. Yeah. So yeah. that's my treble pronged approach. It's greedy because in it is three <laughs> houses in three different places, but I would share them well. It's funny that thing you say about the houses because I remember when I used to get the bus out of London quite a lot from Victoria Station, it would pass through Hammersmith. Yeah. And there was this little row of houses with these huge glass kind of fronts in the upper. I think they were kind of maybe artist studios originally or something nice. like that. And every time I passed it, I was like, I'm going to live there one day. Yeah. I never am now. Yeah. Oh, I but... never know. <laughs> <laughs> London prices, are you serious? <laughs> Don't give up yet, Adam. There's, there's miracles to be When bad. the politics changes, we put a cap on the rents, a cap on the rents. Oh, it's all going to change. <laughs> they, might, they might swap you for this one. On a short-term timeshare basis. On a short-term timeshare yeah. basis. Okay, sensitive one next. On what occasion do you lie? <laughs> I, I think I... I think it's all right to lie quite a lot, mm -hmm. really. I think sometimes you don't need to tell the truth. Um, <laughs> I remember teaching teaching my kid not to lie, and then the first time I remember thinking, "Oh no, actually, I wish there were more than I wish there were different words for mm -hmm. the word lie." When this really nice older woman that we used to go to a house um, once a month to uh, have some lunch, she used to make lunch and. My daughter really didn't like going, but the, she really liked seeing her. And uh, she said, do you love coming here? And my daughter was like, well, not really, but my mum made me like, as soon as she started, I was like, oh yeah, I would absolutely yes. lie in this situation. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, just if I think people don't really want to know the truth, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. As you know, telling us sort of smile and eat food if, if someone gives you that sort of gentle lying i think i yeah uh, there are times when lying is the right thing to do mm. i think like yeah. i think so yeah yeah i found myself in certain book blurbing situations where you've been <laughs> asked by an up-and-coming writer yeah. to blurb their book um and you like them and you do like the writing but maybe the literature you doesn't connect with you or it's not something you get behind and it's sort of 
navigating the dynamics of that situation. So mm-hmm. I try and give these like really tepid, neutral, sort of aberrant quotes that say like asks very interesting questions, something like that. Um, but not necessarily good ones or effective ones. But I've I've actually learned some of these snippets from other book blurbers from that perspective. So if, if I've ever blurbed your book saying that's very interesting <laughs> questions. I can't believe you just said that. That's like a lie that you've now told everyone that you've blurbed their book. They're all going to be looking at what you've to written. To see if I've used that. Especially that phrase, if that's a real one yeah. that you've done. Well, actually, I'm pilfering that as a utensil from another writer. So if you've had another writer blurb your book, <laughs> then uh, I'm, I would ask questions about that question. But just that where you're like wanting to be supportive, but... You can, when it's something as personal as literature or endorsing a book at that level, it's like finding a way to navigate something encouraging and ebullient about it without necessarily lying about having mm. really relished the read. It's a it's a political act. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I yeah. love writers that just categorically now. I remember asking Double Douglas Dunn for a blurb once, and he was like, "Oh, I stopped blurbing books back in like 1990, whenever when it just became such a sort of contentious thing." Mm. So, but then it was this email was that if I was to blurb your book, this is what I'd say, and it's like, "Okay, <laughs> give me this brilliant blurb yeah, that right. I cannot use, but it's there." Mm. Um, so I think yeah, there's some hardline policies to that as well. Plus, writers at the sort of um, zenith of their career. If they blurbed every book they were sent, they would, yeah, they would yeah, never yeah. write again, you know? It's a fascinating thing, the blurb economy. Like, do you, in your experience, like, do you find the blurbs on your books help? Like, it, it seems like it seems like a something which the publishing industry is convinced is necessary. And, yeah. like, writers are constantly sent out to get blurbs. I, but think, like, I think they do, but I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of a... Well, not to be honest, not... After seeing... <laughs> Michael's book and the blurbs you get or the quotes you get, I think that's quite amazing because you're not somebody that just, you know, there's a lot of people that just know famous people or Mm. they've gone to schools and they're, you know, a bit like politics. The answer's a bit like politicians all going to eat and I think there's a lot of things like that. So you'll just ask your mate and you're famous. Um, So when you don't, (laughs) aren't in those circles and aren't brought up in those circles, then you have to kind of build that up. Um, So I think it does mean something, but I... I don't know. I, I normally just say, um, can someone famous say this about my book? Which takes the <laughs> piss out of it a bit, but it's like, well, I don't know. And every time yeah. I've done it, someone's just said, all right then. So I, I just give them the phrase that I want and let someone choose it if they'll do it, yeah. which is, you know, they haven't read the book, but it's I, for me, it's a bit of a like, mm. yeah. I, I prefer having blurbs by like, my dad or my daughter or like a joke one from my friend Jodie or whatever, yeah, yeah. but publishers are really like, no, 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 no. Or I want to put bad bad reviews, like uh-huh. the, the Telegraph called my work terrible. And I was like, please, can I just put terrible <laughs> Telegraph? But they're just like, oh no, because blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, please. So yeah, I just, I think it's nice to play around with it and uh-huh. a little bit strict the parameters of that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think particularly in poetry, I'm very conscious of it, that of poets blurbing other poets' mm-hmm. books mm, and yeah. it becomes such a insular society. And of course, poetry, a lot of the time, we're trying to sell or entice readers into poetry that wouldn't normally find themselves mm-hmm. there. So I'm pretty conscious of asking people, like some of my favourite cultural figures to blurb those books, like Oyster, the one I did with Scott. We just had a big blurb on the front from Irvin Welsh and a big blurb on the back from Charlotte Church because mm-hmm. I thought, here's two 
great cultural figures that I love their their vibe, their their quiddity, everything they do, but they're not anyone that you would associate with poetry. So mm-hmm. people might pick up that book that wouldn't normally pick up that yeah, book. Yeah, so yeah. I think when you're selling like a more niche genre, uh, it's it can be really vital and really inviting from that perspective. Yeah. I've been really fortunate and got blurbs of Stephen Fry from a lot mm. of stuff, which is obviously a great one as well, especially when it's been on the poetry books. And I think just having people that are a bit left field, I often ask, uh, if we can send books to people from bands, Shirley Manson's mm. done a lot of the oh, yeah, conversations yeah. with me and blurb the book. Um, so I like having people that aren't necessarily, you wouldn't immediately associate with the genre or the story. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I like their music. I like their yeah, nice. uh, cultural podcast and they like it. So maybe there's a way into that for me. So I like feeding blurbs to the reluctant reader. Mm-hmm. I like how how sort of awkward everyone is about it though. Like I've written some sort of thought. I've, to be honest, I've had a. That's the only time I've really like had a drink, like mm. had a glass of wine in order to build up courage to like just send an email uh-huh. or a message to someone. And it's like Matt Haig, I messaged mm-hmm. and said, oh, "I saw that you shared a poem that I wrote once. Um, is there any chance?" So nice, like yeah, got straight yeah, yeah. back and said, "Oh yeah, I hate doing that. Isn't it awkward?" Like, I'm so, <laughs> yeah. like it was amazing. It really, you know, really amazing. It's a weird thing. It's like going to, like, do you do you like me? Yeah, and also, <laughs> would you mind telling people that you yeah, like me? <laughs> would you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so, it's so weird. But I also can like we go putting, public in this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like putting blurbs from people who have actually read the book as well. Yeah, so I yeah, always yeah. try and have it on the. I guess when the paperback comes out after the hardback, to have people you know, a, a person that's read the book and mm-hmm. then maybe their profession or, or however they want to describe themselves. I like doing that as well. Yeah. I was just thinking about the lie thing. And I think I lie a lot about my actual opinions about stuff mm-hmm. because I don't actually want, I, I'm like scared of giving, I think my opinions are probably stronger about things than I actually say uh-huh. because I'm nervous about sharing it. And also I, I, I don't think I have read enough and know enough to definitely give mm-hmm. them. But things about religion god do i believe in god that sort of thing i think if i told the truth it'd probably be a no which <laughs> question is that on here? do you like, believe you're, you're, <laughs> yeah yeah that's the next one but just on what occasion do you lie it's like these huge topics i mm-hmm. think i i think i is that a lie or is that a gentling or a softening or a sort of reading of the room no, yeah, no? I don't know. But maybe I think, yeah, I think I lie about things like that. I think. Mendaciously rebranding your <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's the advertiser in me. <laughs> Okay, we've been talking for a little over an hour now. Yeah. So what I think we should probably do is a few quick fire yeah, me too. questions. Me too. Um, if there are any that you feel you want to be particularly expansive on, uh, do let me know. But otherwise, we'll just go through it. One word or one sentence. Perfect. Answers, and, uh, and we'll see what this uh, what this throws up. So... Question number 15. God, we only made it halfway through. <laughs> Question number 15. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pasta. Ramen. <laughs> oh, well, it's not. It's, it's, they're similar. They're, yeah. they're, they're the, same, the same ballpark. I wouldn't have mine in, a, in the soup. I just... <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can throw anything in there, like vegetables, fruits, mm. um, edible flowers. You can get anything in a ramen. Plus, you make, can make great slurping sounds when you eat it, so it's got a melody. Very true. Question 16. Which poem makes your spine tingle? Edward Edward Morgan, One Cigarette. I think it's one of the best love poems ever written. Mm. I was going to say Edward Morgan, Strawberries. That was my second answer. Oh, that's nice. eh? 
Let's leave it on that. Go on, Andy. (laughs) Question 17. What is your favorite smell? You don't know if your pee smells when you have asparagus, so mm. that is why I laughed because I was thinking that you said I might have to test it. Um, something citrusy for me, mm-hmm. like the smell of yeah, just fresh orange or lemon or gra- grapefruit, probably yeah, fresh mm. grapefruit. Mm, nice. I like when you can smell fried garlic at the start of a meal. You don't mm. know what's coming uh, next, nice. but it's such oh, a yeah. good start yeah, yeah. that it's it's, oh, it's that's good. I like that. Untouchable. Onions. Yeah. Don't burn it, though. <laughs> no, jeez. Question 18. If you could ask the leader of your country to read one book, what would it be? Uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. I'd probably ask them to read my book and request a blurb. <laughs> <laughs> also, I don't know why I said I that, thought, but they've obviously read it. Let's be care. honest. They're big readers. <laughs> that you can't give them too many of your favourite... Most uh, of your favourite books are doing much better than your own stuff. Let's just give one solid, candid, self-indulgent answer here. Yeah. In this case, are you talking true. about Rishi Sunak or Hamza Yusuf? I'm talking mm. about Yusuf here, okay. not Sunak. Uh, I, talking... I wouldn't give that fucker a book for free. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I'm talking about Rishi Sunak, but yeah, I don't think it would. Yeah, it wouldn't make a difference, eh? Question 19. What's your favourite hiding place? Bit of a self-defeating question, this, but... The bath. <laughs> you can lock the door. Nobody's coming in after the conversation we've just had. <laughs> I think I've oh, carved a solitary everyone. space in there. Uh, under the bed uh, not under the bed like in my bed but under the covers because that's mm. where like nothing can harm you question 20 what do you consider your greatest achievement being a good friend that's a good one <laughs> I want that <laughs> uh, yours was being in Bali again wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah swimming <laughs> a bowl of ramen by the poolside in I, I, I think they're still to come. Uh-huh. I don't want to be regressive in that. Everything that, all the best things are still to do, I think, are, are coming our way. Question 21. Which book do you have on your nightstand but you know you'll never read? <laughs> so mine's is Bruce Robinson's book about Jack the Ripper. Now, I love <laughs> Bruce Robinson. I love the scripts, but I'm just not too into killers. Yeah. Uh, I've never been in the serial killer. I've interviewed him. He came to the Mm. bookstore and uh, spoke about it. He's incredible. The the book is, it's the work of a mad genius. It also props up my laptop when I watch a movie. So it's (laughs) like, it was a gift from Holly as well. Uh, You could hold open a door with it. It Maybe this is now a redundant apocryphal answer and I'm going to have to read this book. It's a monster though, isn't it? They all love Jack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You'll tear through it. It is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Well, that's that's no wrong. (laughs) But I'm sticking with it. (laughs) So on the table next to my bed is the book that I am reading at the moment. So I I don't think I don't have a book on my nightstand that I wasn't going to read because it is the one that I'm... I only put it there because I'm reading it. You bamboozled me with that one. <laughs> yes, like, I give away the books I don't think I'm going to read. Question 22. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Mine's so obvious. I'm going to go for flying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, I'd be like one of those big scavenger sea- seagulls coming down to pilfer your picnic. Taking chips off people, going <laughs> robbing crisps from everywhere, like soaring across the ocean. I'd definitely be flying. Uh, I'd like to hear something unique and different from you. <laughs> My, I think mine probably in a more. Oh, sorry, it's, it's, I'm kicking. You're my kicking book on your the floor. own boot in French. Um, you show off. My, <laughs> mine would be to be invisible. I think. You little pervert. 
<laughs> no, it's not pertinent. There's so much stuff I want to know about, uh, yeah, family. <laughs> I'd be hiding everywhere. Okay, question number 23. What was your favourite book as a child? I, have we already done this? Matilda, Lord of the Rings? No, I think no. my I'll favorite... start Hobbit before Lord of the Rings. You know, that took some working up to. I was a slower reader growing up, but I also loved that Goosebump series, the R.L. Oh, yeah, Stein yeah. one. You know, I got really into those. They had great covers. It's quick stuff. fire, Michael. That was that was fast for me. <laughs> that was laconic. Mine was, I think, Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, just because that was the one that was the first time I was so shocked by the ending. And I was uh-huh. like, <gasps> didn't see it coming. Absolutely loved it. Can never read it again. And that makes mm. me quite sad. Mine was The Witches. Oh, oh yeah, that was so great. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. Properly terrifying. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, oh, question number 24. Do you have a recurring dream? If so, what is it? I do. Uh, I wrote a poem about it, but my editor locked it out of the collection. Um, it was about, because one of my friends, Elizabeth, was telling me these beautiful dreams she has about riding horses. And she was like, do you have any recurring dreams? And I was like, well, snake bites. Mm. I get bit in the face normally by a snake. I sometimes survive. <laughs> I've never like properly died in the dream, but it goes back to eating those snakes in Cambodia. They're still mm. out to get me. So yeah, I get bit in the face off snakes a lot. I've got two. One, I'm not even joking, is that can I, I can fly and I have it about once every three months and I just take off from the ground and it's so annoying when I wake up. Um, and the other one, every time I'm away uh, from my kids, it's getting slower now, but after about three days, every day after that, I would have a dream about losing her okay. or stuff, just stuff happening. Yeah. Or, and I, But I feel like that's, yeah, fair enough, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but without fail, third day, and then I've lost her somewhere. Question number 25. What do you think is the most beautiful word or words? Mm, smudge. Nice. I like it a lot. I like words that glimmer and shimmer, <laughs> and I'm going to go for the word coruscate, mm, like nice. that twinkly comet. Uh-huh which you're going to use twice in every book from now on to piss off that gut. <laughs> <laughs> that bastard. <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. He is a Bloody hero. reviews. <laughs> Question number 26. Here's a dangerous one. What's the worst book you've ever read? No, no trash talk here. We could talk about dead writers. No, they could come back to haunt me. <laughs> like the snakes. I am going to try and be cringy and say there's too many great books to extol that I will not... Defame. Actually, how about Mein Kampf by Hitler? I've not read it, <laughs> but I imagine that's pretty bad. I think the, no, I can't say it again. The lie, the religious thing. The Bible. I think it's pretty brutal. It's true. Like there's Particularly such the a lot half. of violence in it. There's such a lot of violence in it, and and it's still very much <laughs> followed in many ways. So I feel like, yeah. If no one knows where I live, that's mine. Well, that's the Daily Mail story, isn't it? Poet Holly McNish, the Bible is the worst book ever written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not the worst written, just like... Just some good stories in there. You yeah, there are some good stories, but there's... Yeah. yeah. It's well, been misused. It's been... Oh, yeah, misused. It's quite violent. <laughs> Question number 27. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. It's in the house. And, and you'll be playing Shakira in the movie of her life. So I'll just be following her around. <laughs> Would you care to give us an excerpt from a Shakira song? No. 
So embarrassingly, actually, I had a film meeting with a company and got asked to suggest that. Boyfriends is, you know, story of my friendships. And I did the cliched thing of suggesting two actors that are both younger and better looking than me. So I suggested Timothy Shamley <laughs> and Harry Styles. <laughs> Which is really uh, awkward to admit, but there we go. Do you reckon I could pull off the accent? Yeah. yeah. And it wouldn't matter. People would just be, you know, staring at the flesh. It's a bit objective, why not? Well, they're great actors as well. <laughs> they pass the bar audition on both levels. Question number 28. What is your motto? So I don't have a motto, but I've just written a motto for a character of mine in a novel, which okay. is, no meal would suffer for an egg on top. Yeah, So nice. I'm going to go for that. And it's widely true if you're an egg eater. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it would be vastly inconvenient. <laughs> you made me think of, I can't remember who said it, someone in, in the 1920s, like a kiss without a moustache is like an egg without salt. Oh, nice. That's good oh. also. Yeah. I was told a, a girl without freckles is like a night without stars when I hated my freckles. I know it's not mm. quite the same. That's but nice though. It was nice. It's not yeah. nice for people without freckles though, is it? No. I guess they wouldn't be told it. But that's Maybe. not my motto. I don't think I've got one. I just have my mum's voice in my head really whenever I'm feeling a bit... Mm-hmm. Uh, down about things that are probably not that important. Mm-hmm. She's just to talk, sort of talk about patience. So I guess I've got her being like, well, a patient today. And then I'm like, okay, fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Perspective. Uh, I think often writers' mottos are if they've got like a repeated message that they sign on books as well. And I always try and sign long live love. I like the LLL. Mm. Yeah. And the message. Mine is actually in that case, what's the worst that can happen? If I mess up a smear test, it can really do damage. If you mess up a poem... Is that what you write in books? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I think before gigs. (laughs) Question number 29 What's the most romantic experience you've ever had? Uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. This podcast right now. With you two. This menage a trois. These two. I mean, this is very romantic. These two plucky young star Well, get on Gandalf's horse, you both, and off we go. Bring Matilda. Room for more. I'm so glad we're in question 29. Bring Matilda. Uh, A a vegetarian tonguing an oyster I presented them with as a romantic sign of good faith of the relationship moving forwards. Nothing more romantic than a tonguing of an oyster. I'm, I'm reluctant to ask question 30 now. How would you like to die? And in what form would you choose to come back? Hugging the people I love would be... I mean, it is... Not so true. nice for them. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, that is true. Like, or maybe, I, don't, I don't know. I really, really don't want to die. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not I super just, keen on it either. I really wouldn't like whenever everyone says, oh, but it'd be a bit bad living forever. I, I don't <laughs> think it would but mm-hmm. I would I obviously see that it would be quite upsetting yeah I'm... death does have a hundred percent hit rate so far with humankind <laughs> does it well no there's a lot of us <laughs> 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 oh yeah I don't I don't know I, unpainfully I guess well how would you come back then I, as something that can fly <laughs> <laughs> Just, <laughs> just give her wings already. What about a griffin? I don't even Phoenix. need wings. Just, no. just yes. a paraglider. Yeah, I mean, that would be fun. I'd, that. Yeah. Uh, I'd be struck by lightning in a swimming pool in Bali. 
<laughs> It'd be a great way to do it. Not doing the backstroke though, because then you'd see it coming, you know, just mm. front. It'd be hard crawl. to be struck by like in the swimming pool because they're normally like ground level, aren't they? I know, but again, maybe be like on a rooftop, tall, pool, a rooftop pool. A rooftop pool in yeah. a inflatable donut. <laughs> do, do you think you would see it coming? I thought it'd be pretty instantaneous. Yeah, I mean you'd see I don't know. Depends if you've got that elfin vision that could, you know, slow it down. Um definitely see a flash. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to die really, really old. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I, I would just that. move on yeah. to some other ethereal kingdom rather than come back. I think we're very different with it. My cousin was like, Yeah, I mean I've had a really good life. I mean, I went now and I'm like <laughs> it's like that old joke isn't it I'd, I'd like to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather and not screaming in terror like his passengers oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, good to end on death and how would you come back come back Michael what are you coming back I'd move on wherever it is next I'd move on I wouldn't come back that's no not the question back, no that's, that's not the question I'd move on you'd come back as an elf <laughs> we know you <laughs> I'd come back as an equal owner of a ballet swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> on which note <laughs> Holly McNish Michael Peterson thank you so much for, for answering <laughs> our Proust questionnaire thank oh, you for what kind of all of fun thank you for listening to the Shakespeare and Company podcast if you've enjoyed this conversation, it would be great if you could help us spread the word by reviewing or rating us in your favourite app or just by sending the link to your friends. And don't forget, if you'd like even more from Shakespeare and Company, you can subscribe now through Apple Podcasts or Patreon for just €3 Euro a month. Links to both are available in the show notes to this episode. Production of this podcast is all done in-house here at Shakespeare and Company Paris. All music is by Alex Fryman, whose album Play It Gentle is available to buy or stream wherever you listen. We'll be back soon. Until then, take care and thanks again for listening.